You're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz Academy Jobscast. I'm James Batchelor, Editor-in-Chief of GamesIndustry.biz. This is the final episode in our four-part series of podcasts exploring the world of recruitment and careers in the video games industry, which is all part of our Get a Job in Games Month. This week, we are talking about recruitment and diversity, a topical issue I think we'll all agree, and one that I think is essential in kind of improving the industry workforce going forward. We're going to be diving very deeply into this issue, and we have a panel of experts for us, we are joined this week by Emma Smith, Head of Talent at Creative Assembly. How are you and uh, what is it that you do at your studio in terms of helping to improve the diversity? Well, um, it's really, really hot and expected summer's day um, in a beautiful leafy Sussex. Um, so I'm melting a little bit, but I'm absolutely stoked to be able to talk about diverse recruiting, um, something I feel really passionate about. Um, at Creative Assembly, I've been at the studio for 12 years. Um, I'm head of talent, so I look after um, the, the recruiting element of it and bringing people in with immigration and relocating. Um, but I also spearhead the Legacy Project, which is our education outreach programme to help bring more diverse talent in with our next uh, generation of developers coming into our brilliant industry. We're also joined by Regis Marshall, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion and Access Programme Manager at Iron Galaxy. How are you and how does your role, well, I mean, it's in, it's in your job title. Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, and basically what I do is I just work with our internal stakeholders um, and our leadership to define, define and deliver our, our diversity. Um, so whether that is in the games that we create, uh, whether that is in the programs that we provide for our employees, and also with programs that we provide for the external community, our gaming community. Um, if it has to do with diversity, equity, inclusion, and access, that's me. We also have Jean-Marie Owens, VP of Operations at Phoenix Labs. How are you? And tell us a little bit about your job. Thanks. I'm well. I'm uh, on a gray and cloudy West Coast day, so it's very nice here. I'm not melting. Um, I have been with the studio since we founded back in 2014. I manage our global shared services teams as well as running our Vancouver studio as the general manager. And for the last four years of the studio, I've been heavily involved in our interview process, our recruiting process, and I led the efforts around redoing our hiring pipeline uh, from the ground up to help make sure that we weren't tripping ourselves up with um, all of the normal biases and traps that come in recruiting. Um, and I spent a lot of effort on that uh, over the last few years. And finally, Lauren Reed, Senior Director of Human Resources at Shell Games. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your job. Thanks so much, James. Uh, this was my first job in the games industry uh, in 2015 is when I joined Shell Games. And uh, at the time, there wasn't a centralized person responsible for recruiting. So that was a big initial effort the first few years I was here. But now as the uh, point person for human resources at the studio, uh, I lead my team in the strategic vision of organizational development. And one of our core values is diversity makes us strong. And so that is the whole uh, employee life cycle. So from recruitment, from candidate in uh, initial meeting, all the way through to higher promotion, uh, project assignments, we have a really great team, a leadership team that this is a, a big value that we, we support in a lot of different ways strategically. So something that me and my team, uh, we talk about quite a bit. I'm going to dive straight in and start hurling questions at, at my panel today because uh, this is a big topic and we only have an hour to try and tackle it in. Um, the diversity conversation around the industry has been going on for several years and quite rightly, and it's it's always difficult having this sort of conversation, largely because you're trying to think about how you can add something new, how you can progress the conversation. But I do want to kind of start with quite a basic question like if only today's news with you know the day that we're recording is the day that the reports have come out about the lawsuit against activision blizzard from uh women who work there who've uh you know made allegations of various various nations including sexual harassment misogyny abuse and so forth we've obviously had the ubisoft singapore report which is an, another another ongoing ubisoft report about how toxic things are, are reportedly on those studio floors so I, I think it's good to kind of have another reminder like why is it important to keep it diversity in mind when you're recruiting like how why is it important that we we need to keep having this conversation oh yeah um i think that yeah it is Seeing seeing that particular article today, um, 
I find it really upsetting when I hear about women having those experiences full stop, right? We're, as an industry, we're getting better. Um, we know that lots of companies talk about diversity and it being important, but we actually need to see that in practice and it's being a real authentic part of the values and who you are as an organization. And I feel that, uh, that you know, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm fortunate I'm at a company that does that. But, you know, when you know better, you need to be better. And that will come from not just the leaders in the organization, but everybody having that sense of accountability. And I, I really hope that I see more examples of what good looks like hitting, hitting, you know, media rather than having to keep seeing this kind of thing. It's just it's not right. And it, it just needs to stop. It, women have a right to feel safe. Full stop. Um, and we need to see those changes. I think if we think about why this work is important in the first place, you know, making video games is really hard. <laughs> this is, uh, it, it's, it's more challenging than rocket science, I hear. Um, but it brings together all of these incredibly passionate people who are, are really smart and creative and, and want to collaborate together. And it inherently requires that you bring yourself into the conversations, you bring your creativity into those moments. And if we don't create teams that support bringing your whole self to work, and if we don't create spaces where people can feel free to make mistakes and say the, the crazy idea that might not work out and be vulnerable with their teams, we're inherently going to make less good products. And we got I think most people who work in games chose to join the games industry because we care deeply about video games. We, I interview a lot of people. Most people's stories start with like, I play video games when I was a kid and I wanted to grow up to make video games. I'm like, that's me. That's how I got here. And that's how so many of us got here. And we want to pour that passion in ourselves into the work that we do. And we need to feel that the teams around us support us to do that. And that means building teams that have diversity of perspective built into them. It means building teams that are vulnerable and um, emotionally safe with each other. And I think that in, that requires us to be incredibly thoughtful about how we recruit people, how we onboard them into our organizations, how we support them over the course of their careers with us, and, um, and care about that work every day. It's, it's not something you do once and, and take a box and move on. I agree. And I think that, too, our teams, the better they reflect the demographics of our end users, the more that representation is going to be authentic and genuine and really resonate with the players. So that that's a big part of why we focus on it at Shell Games, because we have such a broad spectrum of players. And I, I had never considered myself a gamer. I have a little bit of a different background uh, until I worked here. And it I, I realized that was partially because I didn't fit a very narrow slice and description of what a gamer is. Uh, but that working at Shell has really expanded my perception of what that means. And that's largely due to the people that we uh, bring in and have joined our culture because every person is an addition to our culture and we want it to be a positive addition. Uh, somebody that is going to bring something different. We don't talk about culture fit here because that can be code for like me. And that's really not what we're looking for in the hiring process. And again, uh, the more that you can bring those people in, support them, promote them, the more welcoming and inclusive the space is going to be. And then you're going to retain people from different perspectives. So not just feeling safe. I mean, that's that's kind of the bare minimum for me. But are they valued? Are they respected? Are they heard? Are they uh, given opportunities to really make an impact? I was going to say, if I could chime in, um, kind of like more and being new to the gaming industry, um, not considering myself a gamer at first, but really getting uh, because of that narrow mindset. And so I think um, here at Iron Galaxy, one of the things we really like to focus on is our people. Um, and with that comes inclusion. And so when people uh, feel included, right, they want to stay, um, which I think is reflected in our high retention rates. And it all really starts with people who care. And when you start with a team who cares truly about their employees and about the people that sit, they sit next to every day, um, from the top to the bottom, just everyone in the process needs to know that the goal is to give more access and representation and just care about that neighbor next to them. And I think that's how you can create that inclusive environment where all demographics 
demographics and everyone feels really comfortable at your at your company. Yeah, as I say, I just agree with and echo everything that we've, we've said so far is that, you know, it's um, it's understanding the why before the how with with recruiting and 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 doing that with with all the right intentions. Um, but we, you know, I think as our businesses are growing um, and our development studios are getting to the point where we're diversifying some of our roles, a lot of the roles that we have are not actually pure game developers as well you know we've got um, business intelligence analysts you've got full stack developers you've got professionals like the brilliant people that i'm talking with today um they they all sort of say that there's an appreciation for games but sometimes they might say oh actually i don't really play games but it's the the appreciation for the craft and the creativity that comes with it and that variety of lived in experiences are so valuable and it keeps enriching that culture and it it, it just keeps getting better and better. Um, and I have noticed an enormous correlation between a great hiring manager that's um, self-aware and willing to challenge their own biases and their own decision making with hiring really great diverse candidates. Um, and talking about how they foster them as a part of their career progression as well. And then in turn, they will have that similar mindset. So it, it, it's very cyclical and they, they do it. Those hiring managers absolutely get the why before we start digging down into the, into the how. Emma, I think you hit it with self-awareness. Uh, that's been a big emphasis for us both in training the studio in general on not just unconscious biases, but how does that, what, how to interrupt them. So how, starting with that identification within yourself, how does that impact the hiring process and the interview process? So standardizing the questions that we're asking, doing training for every person that is involved in the interview process on fair and effective interview techniques. Uh, because I, I can't necessarily expect every developer that's involved in the interview process to be an expert on HR best practices, but I can help them see where their lens is and focus that and give them the tools to understand the things that they're actually supposed to yeah, it's that coaching mentality um, to, to foster your hiring managers and to not tell them that they're thinking wrong, but to ask them to stop and, and think why they're thinking that why, way. Why are they making those decisions? Um, and I say it, it does kind of bring that self-awareness and something that um, I'm starting to see more so, especially as Creative Assembly is, is growing to the size that, that we are and it has been for quite some time is, to think about the talent you've already got in your organization um, and to have really great quality conversations with those people so you have career progression within because recruitment isn't always just about um, bringing talent in externally you it's it's you know when you hire someone you're potentially recruiting them for filling a senior person's role or even your own role as a hiring manager um, so when you start thinking about um, using the diverse talent that you've already got right in front of your face rather than thinking, you know, you've had Bob has left and now we need to fill Bob shaped hole on a team. But do we actually really need that? So, you know, just just being a bit more radical and, and coaching hiring managers rather than being process led. Um, I think as recruitment pre professionals, it's been really lovely to see how we can we can work with the, the personalities of hiring managers and um, really start seeing them coming on beyond just screening a CV and and just doing a straightforward interview and handing somebody a contract. What are the challenges in finding the right candidates for the jobs that you're hiring for while also looking to diversify your workforce? I ask this because, you know, you look out at your studio floor, obviously not during the pandemic, you just look, you look at your, your, you know, hierarchy of, of employees on, on, on your website or something and you notice, yes, I have far too many white dudes as most of the industry does. Um, you're obviously not going to rush out. All right, I'm now hiring only non-white dudes, like or you know, non-whites, non-dudes. Like you don't, you can't just hire diverse applicants for the sake of their diversity. You obviously need to find the right candidates as well, and you need to encourage those candidates to come forward. We'll talk about that a bit later. But yeah, how do you? What are the challenges in finding the right candidates without just kind of rushing or box ticking when you realise there's an imbalance in your workforce? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, for us, 
it's not helpful if we hire somebody specifically for their demographic background. That's not good for them. It's not good for the teams. We're setting them up for failure. So what that means is we have to have a very broad talent pool. The people are out there, but you have to get creative and go where they are and really rethink job requirements and and hire for potential and look at the people that are going to be good teammates. For us, that's really important. So if they have a high learning agility and they can be good teammates and they're good communicators, that crosses a lot of spectrums. Now, when you're hiring for more senior roles, it definitely gets tricky. But again, if you're looking for somebody, we hire a lot of people not for necessarily what they know or what they've done, but what they're able to learn and do at our studio. Uh, And so it it does change the lens of what you're looking for. And it it is challenging. Uh, We're hiring some senior roles right now. And uh, the the talent pool, once you get past a certain experience year level, the, the industry did look different. Uh, and, and so it, it narrows it quite a bit. But again, if you're, look, if you're broadening your perspective about what makes a best candidate, because we, we do, we, we commit to only hiring the best people who have the skills and the passion to make our experiences amazing. Uh, you, but really pushing on what that best means and what those skills are and what that passion means and, and digging down into the details and making sure that we aren't being coded in our language when we're, we're looking for that. Yeah, if I can chime in um, from my standpoint, right, my role is to come and make sure we're creating equitable processes. Um, And so with that comes in with maybe telling our recruiting team, hey, let's look at different angles. Where are we looking for talent? Are we searching in the same places? Because typically if you're looking in the same places, you're going to get the same type of candidates. And so making sure you diversify where you're searching for candidates is a great start. Um, Going directly to the source. There are plenty of organizations out here um, that support diverse talent and support diverse gamers. Um, And so you have to just be diligent in seeking it out. And then on the company aspect is making sure that you're ready to put in the work, right? So no one said it was going to be easy to attract, to retain, and to develop diverse talent. Um, And so you have to be committed to doing it. And whether that's your studios, all your studios resources, really, right? Your time, your money, your energy. Are you providing um, diverse representation in your interview panel? Because that can matter as well. So that could be a barrier to entry if you sit in a whole interview session and there's no diversity there um, that could impact that representation and that candidate's experience. And so making sure that you're targeting the diverse sources is really, really important um, so that we're not going to the exact same places over and over again for the same talent. I think, you know, to, to build on what Lauren said, you know, being incredibly clear about what is an absolute must have for a role and what is a nice to have and what can we grow internally and what what can we support internally, what we can't in support internally. So we must make sure the person already knows ahead of time as you start the process of recruiting for a role. And then to reach at this point, like really looking at where you're recruiting from, language that you're using in those recruitment ads, how you talk to candidates, how you present the role to them, how they come through the interview process. And then at the end of that, I think one of the most challenging parts is holding line and and staying to your values and never settling for someone who is good enough because you feel that capacity hurt and people are tired and they just really need that C++ engineer and you're like ah he'll do don't hire people who will do only hire people who at the end of their process you are genuinely excited to see them again the next day And you can say easily to yourself, like, this is how this person makes us a better company. You know, that's the high point of their experience, the end of the interview process. This is the most excited everyone is ever going to be about this human. Don't hire someone because they'll do the job okay. Yeah, absolutely. It says being being confident with those candidates. Um, And in terms of... um, you know, some of the some of the things that we've been focusing on. And yes, Regess, it is takes a lot of dedication and it takes a lot of energy to just keep plugging away and and sort of banging the drum and really evangelizing about us as an industry. Um, but, you know, there are still a lot of misconceptions about the games industry out there um, for people that aren't, aren't a part of, of 
what we do and um, and what we're giving back out there. Um, you know, sort of. Uh, so when we speak to people from other sectors about what it's like working in games, they just have a very different view. When we can grab their attention and start talking about it a little bit more. Um, and this year we were at National Student Pride. It was the we were the first games company to ever be there, which is it's crazy. And we were the only games company that were there. And we had a lot of students um, coming to talk to us about games because they'd never really um, sort of been aware of games as an option for them to even go into after they graduated. And, and even some of the people that were attending that worked at that conference were, you know, their curiosity was, was really peaked. So it was an opportunity to really um, bring games into a really positive light. And then we were able to think about, you know, so as that's an example, National Student Pride of going where no one else is going and making that switch from, you know, advertising in, in the traditional places where, you know, we will get those people that have that level of experience. Um, but actually it is about skills and it is about mindset and what can someone bring? And they bring some really valid, interesting experience, especially if you come from film and TV because that's a real big crossover for us at the moment but even people who have worked in areas like you know online retail um, people who have been leaders and managers in other areas um, we've had people that have joined us even from the defense sector as well um, and they just just bring something extra that we it's a bit in closing off our blind spots I guess um, so there are challenges to bring bringing people in um, but you know not only our developers are creative as recruitment professionals are super creative as well and we'll always try and find ways of solving those really unique hard problems to solve. And Emma, I'm glad you mentioned, right, changing the narrative of what working in games look like. So during my interview process, Iron Galaxy was really able to paint a picture for me um, about what the culture is like at the studio um, and, and what working in gaming is really like. And since I've been here, you know, I've learned so much um, and demystified so much about what I thought working in games would be like. And so one of the things we try to do to encourage more people to join the gaming industry is by increasing our awareness of what working in games, like I said, it looks like. So we can do that by providing scholarships. Um, we provide two scholarships, um, two diversity scholarships in particular, so that we can get the message out to underrepresented communities and provide the necessary support that underrepresented communities need to get the education to transition to the the gaming workforce. Um, and so our diversity scholarships are at DePaul and at University of Florida, uh, where we have our two studios. So we're making sure to develop talent within the markets that we already exist. There is a lot there that I want to dive a bit deeper into. Um, first of all, was this notion of where you look for candidates. Um, there are obviously very kind of established jobs boards out there. There are recruitment agencies. There are recruitment agencies that specialize in the games industry and filling games roles. And I imagine a fair number of uh, recruiters and, and companies use those, those channels because they're kind of, they're proven that historically, like that's where you find the right candidates or have done in the past. Obviously there are universities as well that have game specific courses, but again, due to kind of like the, the, the nature of who working in the game industry typically appeals to, to, or who, who, who thinks yes the games is a viable career and that's something the industry is working on like you're you're looking at the same routes into the industry that have always been used for the, you know certainly for the last few decades so where are there the newer or alternate places to look for recruits like where do you look if you want someone who you know has come from a different kind of background different experience different skill set etc but then still fits the role and fits the needs that you have I think to what Emma mentioned before, film and movies are really great. Film TV is a really great talent pool for us to, to learn how to work with a little more. There's a lot of crossover skills that are applicable, in, especially in things like animation, VFX, um, the art roles. And having hiring managers who are excited to invest in that transition for candidates is crucial to making that successful. But if, if you have a hiring manager who's excited by that, you can open an entire new set of um, candidate pools there. Um, one of our animation leads has been incredibly successful in, in transitioning film animators into game animations. 
And I'm super proud of the work that he's done and the, the folks that he's been able to support. And he drove that because he wanted to open up that new set of candidates and work with, with more folks. And I think general tech also has another, a lot of gamers and people who care about games and who are creative, who may not have realized that working on video games was an option and went into more generic tech like fintech or legal tech or accounting software. Um, those folks love games and would be excited to learn how to make video games. And, and if you can identify the exact skills you need and then how to bridge the gap of what they haven't had a chance to learn yet, um, you, can do, you can bring a lot of new folks into the industry from those areas. Absolutely. Um, definitely. So, and so there, there's also non-technical roles in gaming, right? So gaming studios need accountants, we need human resources, we need IT. And so these are all skills um, that you can poach people from different industries um, and also providing your search for diverse talent. So you don't have to have a gaming background to come and work in IT, right? You don't have to have a gaming background necessarily to work in HR, um, but you can have a passion for gaming and still want to do good work and be around people who enjoy games just like you do yeah so it is reaching out to people who, who have those exact skills you know and some of them are entirely left field um one of our brilliant artists was was a dentist you know it's it's crazy where you can where you can find that talent and it, it genuinely can be anyway um and some of the things that we've found that's been really great to reach people is um going out and speaking um, at conferences, events that are more based on skills rather than than industry, um, and representation really does matter. If someone uh, listens to or meets someone that they find some commonality in, and they inspire them, it'll it'll pique their interest, and they'll start, you know, looking at your company's website or start following your social media pages um, until the moment comes where they feel that there's something that they could, you know, really take a chance on. Um, so we, it, it is trying to think about, um, I say, going to those places and being, being really creative with it and making an effort of going outside our comfort zone, actually. Um, and there have been things that, you know, we've tried and perhaps not qu got quite the result immediately, but you've just got to keep on chipping away at it and knowing that eventually, um, you know, when you start running your dashboards and you're, you're looking at all your stats that are coming through, you do start seeing a really positive change and a trajectory in the, the diverse pool of candidates that you're seeing. I'm definitely seeing more women applying for roles um, at CA than, than I ever have. Our website um, traffic, uh, we looked at a report recently, um, when I looked at it around 2016, um, it was it was something like 10 or 12%, and this month it was like nearly 30 it's, that that change of, um, of of seeing that that split with gender, like looking at our website, is really is really exciting to be able to see, especially because the kind of products that we make and generally the the things that we tend to see. Um, but again, I think I think that's because it, it's been a slow burn, and sometimes that's really hard thing to explain to leaders of business that are expecting those changes to come really quickly. Um, but when it's a really solid strategic plan and you have faith in what you're doing, those things that you're doing eventually over time will, will make a, a right change over the longer term and it'll make your studio far more sustainable for the future. And we can keep making brilliant games for many, many more years. I agree, Emma. Seeing the, the demographic shift of, especially at the entry level, has been very encouraging and very exciting. Uh, but you have to prepare a scaffolding for people coming into your studio, especially if they don't have any experience. So uh, it's been great to see a lot of undergrad programs in the U.S. really focus on game development, project-based uh, experience and coursework, which is excellent, but not everyone can afford a four-year bachelor's degree. And so one of the things that we've been doing, uh, because we care about our Pittsburgh local community as well, is partnering with our community college. They also have a game development program, which is amazing. It's an associate's degree, and we're really hoping to partner with them for an apprenticeship program where we bring in people that maybe wouldn't have had the opportunity to get their degree, pay for it, 
pay them to work on projects that is somewhat separate from our, our main development group just because we don't want to put them on critical path stuff before they have the skills, but we also want to invest and build their skill set while they're here and they can benefit from being in the environment. I think, too, one of the benefits of COVID has been the democratization of online learning, which has been great. A lot of schools have had to figure that out. And so that that changes the landscape of who's able to attend those classes. Um, and so that's one piece of it, too, understanding what you're asking for in the interview process. Uh, are, are you paying for tests? Are, are you giving them something that is going to be useful for their portfolio? Or are you going to make them sign an NDA and never show it? Uh, is, and there's obviously a lot of gray areas there in flex and you, you don't want to uh, reveal trade secrets. But there's things that, there, that you can meet that your candidates, even if they go through your process and you don't end up hiring them, that are going to set them up for success elsewhere. So treating all of your candidates with respect, not just the ones you hire. You know, one of the things I try to tell my recruiters and our hiring managers is focus on what a candidate can do and not how they learned it. So you may have candidates who are self-taught. There's YouTube. There are so many uh, sites out here that you can self-teach yourself a lot of things. And really, those self-taught people, I mean, I commend them, right? Because how, how hard is it to teach yourself another skill without any formal education? So really, that speaks to me about the drive of the candidate. And we're, now we're hiring for personality and for what they can do and again like not what how you learned it or you know where did you learn it but what can that candidate do and I think when you focus on their skill set and what they bring to your company um, that really helps eliminate some of that unconscious bias that you can see in the interview process. Nice. Uh, one of the other things I want to dive into was uh, how we can improve the recruitment process itself. So there were references earlier to like kind of the language used in job listings and who that appeals to. There's the interview procedure itself. I was watching a panel recently, like they were talking about um, neurodiversity and people who, you know, you, there are just subtle changes you can make that will make those who are neurodiverse feel a bit more comfortable in an interview situation. Want to kind of get your thoughts, get examples, like particularly on kind of like the, the language and job listing. I'm intrigued as to like what language should be avoided or kind of what language should be kind of prioritized when you're, when you're writing this job listing or writing that, that original vacancy description to try and reach out to the, the right candidates. Um, that's one of the things we definitely try to focus on. Um, all of our job posts start and have the words diversity matters at Iron Galaxy because we want you to know that when you start working here, diversity is important to us um, and we mean what we say. And so you can find that with like you're avoiding gender coded words, right? So ninja and rock star, like guru, right? Like avoid these gender coded words that may be off-putting or it may um, not really reflect all genders or everyone. Um, and then like, for example, we talked about limiting the requirements to must-haves. Uh, we know like men are uh, likely to apply for positions if they feel like they only meet 60% of the requirements, while women feel like they have to meet 100% of the requirements in order to just submit an application. So just changing small words from requirement to must-haves or uh, nice-to-haves, right? And so that way people can self-reflect and determine if they feel qualified, but it also lessens that burden on women specifically who feel like they have to have all of these things in order to apply and be considered for a job. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what we've done with, with our hiring managers, so I've just this year alone spent hours and hours and hours with our hiring managers in you know, really small um, workshop environments and coaching sessions that candidate experience is king right now. It, it really, really is. So I try to encourage them to go into thinking in a more empathetic mode and remember what it was like for them when they were job seeking or to think about someone that, you know, something that they know where they are job seeking and and go through what that journey might be like for them and to understand why why some people might self-select even from looking at a job ad and what would prevent them from applying and by them applying that kind of mindset as hiring managers it, it, it changes the tone and the way that they way that they approach recruitment within themselves um, and to understand that they want to meet as many people as they possibly can to try and move through that um, but say that candidate experience is 
is where the process shift has been for us. Um, we all know this is a highly competitive environment, especially in the UK at the moment, um, with lots of new studios and there's lots of mergers and acquisitions going on as well. So, you know, they, there's a lot of funding flying around. Um, so, you know, we're speaking to someone who's speaking to four or five other studios or if we make an offer, we know that we might be one of many. Um, and the experience someone has with you and your hiring team and the experience they have at the studio is is the thing that's going to make the difference. How that candidate has felt through that process is equally as important to the to the speed and, and the promise that you're giving them at the end of it. You can offer someone a much higher salary or it might seem a bit shinier. But actually, if they felt that they were treated well as a person and they will enjoy working with the people that they've met, that process is going to be far more meaningful for them. Um, so that, that's that's where we feel that the, the step change in terms of process has come. And um, we're definitely seeing a, a different kind of recruitment happening as a result of it. Uh, we use a gender decoder uh, uh, job post analyzer that was developed by Kat Matfield uh, before we post any jobs. And what's nice is we use a lot of our language about company values. And uh, as Regis was saying, we very clearly state diversity makes us strong. Um, but not not just an anti-harassment EEO discrimination anti-discrimination post that's that's bare minimums it's then how do we go beyond that and make sure that our environment is inclusive and and really values people from those from different perspectives and so uh, that's one piece of it part of the process and then also taking what we evaluate people for their performance when they're here. So our peer review process, which can have a lot of pitfalls, making sure that we are standardizing what we ask about people to reflect and give feedback. We're a high feedback environment. It's really important for us to be giving good quality feedback that helps people grow and isn't laden with their personal biases. Uh, so taking that process, giving people training on how to give feedback while they're here, and then also reverse engineering those questions through the interview process. So what we evaluate wait when you're here is what we're evaluating as much as we can through the interview process and making sure there's that cultural alignment so it's not a bait and switch when people are looking at candidates in the process and then they get here and it's like oh this isn't at all what I thought or what I what I wanted to get myself into. How can the industry better support and elevate established staff uh, from marginalized and underrepresented groups because obviously like yes ideally we want to start bringing in new and a broader range of people but we also want to retain the ones that we already have. And equally, we don't want to be bringing all the, in these new people, burning them out and kind of essentially sending them elsewhere for the same reason that there already isn't a diverse workforce. Like, how do we better support, you know, the, the, the more diverse employees that we already have and then the, one, the ones that we're um, they're bringing in? How do we kind of support them, elevate them, get them to the point where they are on a career path and they don't, they don't leave the industry? Oh, I say it once, I say it again, really robust, strong, self-aware leaders who are not threatened by people who want to go far. Um, it is the role of a lead to enable the team that are working with them to be their very best. They can only do that if they listen, they understand and they do everything they can to enable the team to do their best work. If they do that, then they will understand how to best motivate the teams around them and understand what their career pathways are and do everything they can to help them arrive. Um, I see, you know, not just generally as an issue, but more so in the UK. Um, we've, we're still quite a young industry, really, um, especially in the UK. I mean, CA's been going for quite a long time now, well over 30 years, but this will be in a, a, a leaning like technical leadership where leads are really strong in their knowledge base and how they do those things. Um, but we've still got a long way to catch up with how we lead people, how, how we really get the best out of them. Um, and we can look to other industries that have done that really, really well. Um, so if we have really strong leaders, then they, they're only going to do that. And internal mobility and succession planning should be a part of recruiting you know, because I say recruitment isn't just 
people come from the outside in, their first experience as a first role within a studio, we've got a lot more to do with, you know, thinking about how our eternal existing talent can find ways to arrive at those places. And you'll only get that when you have great leaders that do talking and listening and making it happen. I agree completely, Emma. I think, too, another piece is compensation and viewing that with an eye for equity and making sure that you're treating people fairly and respectfully. And that's a big that that's starts in the hiring process, but then making sure that you're tracking parity across someone's career and analyzing that on a periodic basis. That's something that um, we have make a commitment to do and we do every so often. Uh, but every per- new person coming in, that, that's always a conversation and a lens that we apply to the process as well. So if you are paying people equitably, they feel respected, they are given opportunities to grow and flex their skill sets. You're, as Emma said, listening to their feedback on where your culture may not be the most welcoming and may not be the most inclusive and you may be blind to it. We also have an anonymous feedback platform that our CEO goes in weekly and answers on a regular basis, customized responses, and it really has helped us uh, understand strategically where where we need to focus our efforts so that people are feeling heard and feeling included and feeling respected and valued. Uh, so it, it starts on before day one in the, in the process, but continuing that holistic view of valuing your people as your most important resource. Um, I really want to piggyback on the compensation. Like, so if there's any recruiters that are going to listen to this, right, one thing that you can do if you take something away is let's say a candidate comes in and makes a request for their salary and it's below market, automatically give them the market rate, right? Pay people what they're worth. Um, we know that underrepresented talent often um, discounts themselves or maybe lowballs themselves um, into salaries that aren't fair because they want to get their foot in the door or they don't believe in themselves. You know, imposter syndrome shows up a lot. Um, And so as a recruiter, you can immediately be that gatekeeper and and dismantle those systems of inequity by providing people with the compensation that they are deserved. Um, Another thing that we work on is giving your staff areas to talk publicly about private things, right? Um, And so creating safe spaces where your staff can come and really wet the steam out, ask questions, um, and just get a chance to get a pulse on how people are feeling and what's going on with your employees is so important. And then like Lauren said, making sure that there's a direct access to leadership. And so one way that we do that is with our DNI committee. And so our DNI committee uh, was formed uh, by our co-CEO Chelsea uh, out of need and out of a desire to create those spaces and to get feedback directly from the employees on the diversity and inclusion issues that really matter to the employees. So that management could take action on it and hear straight from the staff's mouth. I wanted to add on the compensation issue. So we use market-based compensation comp bands per level in the markets that we work in. So whether that's in the U.S. or Canada, and we've, we commit to the team to always use those comp bands. It's as important that when somebody undervalues themselves during the recruiting process that you pay them market. If, if, they, if they ask for a salary that is under the band for their level, pay them within the band for their level. But it's as important that you don't pay people over band for their level as well. And that you have that honest conversation with them when they ask for a higher salary than the band. We have found a lot of success in saying to people, this is our values. This is our compensation system. This is how we think about compensation. Your ask is outside of the band for your role in this market. And it would not be fair to the other people in the team and in this role if we gave you that and it's their choice, we'll, we, we will offer you a fair market compensation and then it's their decision to opt in or out. And it is really important to keep that commitment on both ends of the band. And then the other piece to what Lauren was saying is reviewing that regularly. So we do an annual update to our comp bands once a year, go through, check the markets, make sure everything still looks accurate and then take the entire staff list salary put it back against the bands and see if anyone has fallen out of band in that process and immediately move them back into band. 
people will leave companies because they don't have that internal mobility and promotion and compensation change over time. It's crucially important that you make sure that if someone has been with you for a couple of years and the market has moved externally, that their compensation still moves internally um, or you're just opening the door for somebody else to offer them an opportunity elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. So just to add to that as well, is, uh, is, I think that is absolutely valid um, and something that we're definitely focusing on at Creative Assemblies, making clear what the compensation packages are before the hiring managers meet anybody. Um, and that it, it is fair and it is equitable because we we all know that the market rates change rapidly, that some some hot skills and hot roles are right now that, you know, some roles didn't actually exist a few years ago. Um, so it's important for us to, to keep talking to each other and speaking to our, um, you know, our comparators in, in other companies in confidence as well, which I feel really fortunate that I'm able to do. Um, but when you set those those rates out and when you speak to those candidates it, it becomes very clear that we are we have definitely noticed that underrepresented groups do lowball themselves um, and and you know it is being that that guiding light and that gatekeeper as as a recruitment team um, is, is so very important it, it's so easy to just cave and just give in to whatever it takes to get that person in or feel like it's a bit of a win because you've got somebody cheap that's that's not right. Um, it doesn't sit well with me and it's not the right thing to do. And ultimately, I say it's, it's false economy because you're just going to have to fill that role. And it only takes someone having a bad day and one call from a recruiter and bam, they're gone. Um, and, you know, it can be very, very disruptive to a project. And it, it's really sad. I think, too, transparency from leadership as well is helpful in this because we're not in a gaming hub in Pittsburgh. So market rates look very different for us. Uh, we have a great cost of living in the Pittsburgh area. So that's part of what Jesse, our CEO, goes through with Office Vibe. Um, this co compensation is always a, a topic that comes up and it's saying, okay, this is where we are at. We look at this periodically. We have to adjust because one of our, our company values is also stability and sustainability. I mean, going through, we've never had a layoff in 20 years. That's another way to retain people because we feel teams get better over time. And that's unique in the games industry. We both believe that it's a, it's a value that we want to commit to, but also for practicality reasons. I mean, if people are uprooting their lives and moving to Pittsburgh, they're not in that gaming central hub. And so it, it doesn't make sense if we were to relocate them to Pittsburgh and then say, okay, you're only on board for this project and that's the end and then good luck. Uh, so that, these are, these are transparent conversations that we, we have to have on a regular basis and have to have them well. Uh, and again, everybody probably wants more money, but if you're confident in your strategy and that you're paying fair, equitably market, um, then you're able to have those, those real conversations, uh, and, and be empathetic and understand People appreciate that. They they do appreciate that. And then I think one of the low hanging fruits here is just amplify amplifying your minority voices, right? Um, amplify those underrepresented communities that are already in your uh, company. And one way that we like to do that is we tap on our affinity groups um, to provide us with blog posts. So we open up our website for blog posts and the affinity groups that anyone can submit and we review them um, and get them on our website. So we have a Meet Iron Galaxy section where we uh, let you meet some of our employees and we're, we're intentional in the voices that we want to amplify, right? We want to amplify the people who are underrepresented. We want to give life and breath to that so that those stories can be told because at the end of the day, they motivate someone that's out there. They motivate our players. Um, they, our players can um, align with that or, or acknowledge that and so can uh, future candidates. So it's really cool to have that space on our website where people can go and just see who's, who's at Iron Galaxy and hear from those people. I completely agree, Regis. And also making a space for people to opt into that process and not targeting people. And because that's where you get into tokenism. And that's not what anybody wants to be doing if they're really passionate about this work and, and making sure people feel comfortable in that 
space and, and that you do want to highlight the or that they do want to be highlighted. So um, that's, a, that's a fine balance. And, and we don't always uh, hit that mark. But it's, it's definitely something that we, we think about a lot is making sure that people feel comfortable opting into those types of environments and situations. Yeah, and that's exactly what we did with um, the ambassador program at CA as a part of Legacy Project. You know, it was initially to address some of those imbalances with with education and having access to industry. But we realized that um, the content and experiences that people were looking for were far reaching beyond that. Um, we've got well in excess of 100 ambassadors at CA and it is about harnessing that natural um, passion and enthusiasm that someone has about the area of professionalism or just talking about the industry or getting really excited about the game that they've been working on um, and giving them the support to be able to do that. Um, you know, if, it, if it's a, a blog or um, it's a written article, then they work with the comms team to be able to do that. If they want to go out and give speaking sessions, we'll give them coaching and training to be able to do that. And of course, all that time is out the work day. It's a part of their role. So they don't have to find time in their own personal space and be able to continue giving that work-life balance back as well. So enabling that passion and, and giving them a platform to be able to do it is is important. And we've noticed that that's been a really great retention tool, actually. Um, people feel really excited and, and felt feel like as if that having that time is um, more loyal to candidates that are applying for our roles quite often talk about the legacy project and feeling that it's something that they would love to be a part of so you just this constant cycle of, of passion and enthusiasm and it, it just keeps growing from there and it's so exciting to be able to see that and Emma that's huge right like making sure that we're not asking our employees to do this work for free so that's another huge thing. When you ask your, your employees to do diversity work for free, then you're not really considering the impact on them and, and the burden that the already marginalized group holds, right? So making space for that to be a part of your 40-hour work week or however uh, many hours your work week is, is essential to really being equitable in this work. So creating that space, allowing the employees who do this work um, and it's outside of their job function to have that time away from you know whatever their role is and and building that in, in to overall what they do and what they bring to your company is so critical so i'm really glad you pointed that out thank you I think it's really interesting, Emma, when you talk about the legacy program, because I think that one of the really important things to remember in in these conversations, in this type of work, is what we're what we are aiming for is generational change, not tomorrow change. And what we talk about the talent pool at the most senior levels in the industry looking similar today. And that's that's a 20 years ago problem. And what we're solving for is the 20 years from now problem. You know, best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. And I want for the folks who are in their early 20s today who are entering the industry for the first time, this is their first job, they're really excited. I don't want them to have the same moment that I have when I sit in a boardroom and I notice that there are other women at the table. And that's really interesting and exciting to me, I still notice that today. I work in a great company. We have about 50% non-cis white dudes at our company, and it's still noticeable to me because of my experience in the industry so far. For the 20-year-olds who are starting today, I don't want them to ever notice that because it will never be noticeable to them. It will just be the norm for their experience in the games industry. And that's the work, is the generational shift for the next group of game developers who are coming through all the work that we are doing is setting them up for success so that they can set the next group up for success and so on. I love that vision. Uh, also building on what each of you have said, I think building accountability and responsibility for making your workplace as diverse and as inclusive and equitable as possible in every person in the organization. So not just the people that are part of their title. I, I mean, it. it is really inherent on the, the people who are in the majority demographics, whatever those are, to figure out ways that 
the default is not working and and work to change that default. So uh, building that into everyone's job expectations and providing space for it in their day to day and really building it into the culture. So it's it's a a piece of the DNA and it's woven in the fabric of the the organization. Yeah, and I say is that it's just just you know iterating on that as well with the with leadership teams and you do go into those boardrooms and you go yeah I'm the only woman in here or this hey there's another woman in the room um but the senior leadership team seeing that as well and being committing to wanting to see that change too that they take an equal responsibility on how to flip and turn that demographic around um and understanding you know what what is their legacy they're not going to be still be doing that job in 20 years so who are they championing how are they sharing their knowledge and expertise with people who want to arrive where they already are um so they're a part of of creating a legacy for the next generation as well and how they engage with that is is going to be really interesting to see because it's very one thing to say that you want diversity and to see the gender pay gap uh, report to change but to actually do something about it is very different and it's it's great to be able to see that I'm seeing that within our studio I know um uh, Gareth Edmondson our you know our, our studio head um actually won a Joe Dotby's best place to work board last year um best boss um his level of commitment to being a real authentic leader and and when he makes promises he keeps them um, and I, I was really pleased and so proud that he got that award last year. But he, he has come into the studio and he's been able to really continue to build on that success. And he's, he's a great leader. And I'm really excited to see what the future is going to be like at CA, especially in terms of, you know, that that scenario where you do go into the boardroom and then you do start seeing the diversity. And then it's something we're not looking for anymore. It's just something that's, that's the norm. Expected. Yeah. It it becomes the default. That's that's the vision. The default is is that playing field where everyone is respected and represented and welcomed. Absolutely, and I think it's changed massively from when I joined the, joined the games industry. Um, I think at the time I was I was one of like four or five women that worked at the studio, and you know you felt like the the women's bathroom was pretty much my own bathroom because there was never anyone in there. Um, through to you know the I'm, I'm looking around the studio you know when we are in the studio and I love that I'm seeing so many different people from different countries um, from different backgrounds different routes into our industry but the thing I get like really excited seeing um, people that come in as trainees that then go on to become leads of teams themselves and then you see the changes with their own teams so it, it, it just seeing the growth and the maturity of us as an industry but as the time's going on I'm, I'm seeing like people coming in as their first role through to leading teams themselves so yeah it's brilliant we are rapidly running out of time this uh, has been a brilliant discussion thank you so much but i do have one last question um we've spoken mostly about what companies can do what industry can do in terms of um providing more opportunities and making things a bit more accessible to people and and, and appealing to that that more diverse range of applicants but i kind of want to focus on the applicants themselves what advice do you have for folks from marginalized or underrepresented groups who are applying for jobs or considering applying for jobs how can they stand out how can they improve the chances what should they be looking for in a company when they're like right i want to find someone that's going to support me and and value me like what advice do you have I would really like to encourage people to write cover letters. (laughs) I know that in this day and age, um, when people are applying to a lot of jobs, sometimes the idea of writing a personalized cover letter per per, per application, it's it's a lot of work um, and it's a little daunting. But cover letters let the recruiters or the hiring managers, the HR person who's, who's looking at your resume, look at a resume that may not look like it's immediately the right fit for a job and understand why you could be the right fit for that job. And we've had a lot of folks that we have hired whose resumes were underwhelming or didn't have a degree or they hadn't shipped AAA titles or worked at a big studio, but they 
wrote cover letters that talked about their passion for games, how they understood their skills could translate to what we were looking for and really pitched like, I get that my resume doesn't have exactly what you're looking for, but here's why I'll be great for you. And that got them into the interview process. In that interview process, you can then talk through all those moments. And I really would encourage people to take the time to write a cover letter that talks about why you believe that your skills are right role, right for that role even if it's not like the most customized per job ever, just give us a chance to understand what your resume and who you are and that whole package you can bring. Yeah, absolutely. Bringing your whole self into that process and definitely the cover letter thing, write those cover letters. But I, I get it. I understand that it can be really hard for you to notice all the great things that you are and be your own cheerleader and I feel that, you know, as a woman, you know, we're quite often told, you know, just to be humble and be quiet and just, you know, wait for the opportunities to come out. And you're not used to really pushing and putting yourself forward. Um, but like you are your own champion. You are your own best friend. Just be really comfortable with celebrating all of the reasons why you could apply for that job. And don't fear the failure don't overthink it like what's the worst that's going to happen for you putting together a great cover letter and applying for a role that you don't get well actually you've still benefited from going through that process you've still benefited from taking the time to write down all the great reasons why someone should think consider you for a role and revisiting and rewriting a cv um and just having that that chain of positivity back for yourself will make the world a difference and you keep you keep going through that process and it'll build up your resilience as well and and get to understand who you really are um there i there are so many people that have got uber levels of confidence just channel like 10 percent of who those people are um and you're you're on to a winner there's, there's, you've got absolutely nothing to lose from trying so do try even if you can only meet 60%, 70% of the requirements. Just go for it. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Having a great portfolio too that's easy to navigate and shows work in progress identifies what tools you've used uh, because there's a lot of free tools out there that if you're able to leverage and, and build your skill sets on your own, do game jams. Uh, that's a big piece for us that's not a prof it's not professional experience necessarily, but it really helps you understand the teamwork dynamics and collaboration skills that are really crucial to being a success. And then also uh, just highlight at sharing your works in progress on your social media channels. I love it when I see both finished works, but also works in progress and updates from a person who's maybe trying to get in the games industry. And I see their their rig in progress on LinkedIn or on Twitter. I see how they're leveraging the tools that, that we use in our studio every day. They're learning uh, that making your process visible and, and showing that commitment to improving and building your skill set, uh, not just sitting around and waiting for uh, someone to, to pick up your resume or things like that. So being, being proactive and continuing to build that skill set and then advertise that um and so I'll, I'll talk to people who might be non-technical or take it further back to people who just are curious about getting into games so some of the advice i would give is do informational interviews so find people on twitter find people on linkedin find people within the niche in the industry that you want and just message them and ask for an informational interview and you'd be surprised that most people say yes right ask them to take 20 or 30 minutes of your time of their time for a zoom coffee chat and then pick their brain ask them everything you ever wanted to know um, ask them what what they did uh, that really helped me is doing informational interviews. Another thing you can do is just find non-traditional opportunities to showcase and build your skill set. And so you can find that through volunteer organizations. You can find it at your current job. Um, you can find it almost anywhere, honestly. So if you want to get those skills, um, the need is out there. But it just takes a little bit of work um, for you to do on your own. But it, it is achievable. So that's the message I want to give people who are early, early on in the process. It's achievable. You can do it. It might take you some time. Um, but it's not, it's not unaccomplishable. I just wanted to add one more thing. Um, 
Emma mentioned the idea of championing for yourself. And I think that when you are a member of a historically underrepresented group in the industry, that imposter syndrome can be really real. And it can feel really hard to talk about yourself, champion for yourself, or feel like your accomplishments are worth considering. And so I would encourage folks in those moments to think about a person that they admire and that they would talk positively about, and then pretend that you're pitching them instead of yourself. Pitch yourself as though you would pitch the person that you admire the most. Write the cover letter for your friend, not you, and talk about yourself the way that you would talk about someone else. And that is one thing that you can do to try and overcome that lack of confidence or, or imposter syndrome is really just put yourself in some, use someone else's shoes. Thank you so much for your time today. That's been absolutely amazing. That is all we have got time for. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for joining us for the various uh, GamesIndustry.biz Academy Jobs Cast we've been running. If you've missed our previous episodes, you can find them on the same podcast feed. We are on all the podcasting platforms of your choice. We are going to be back on Monday with the usual news show. Uh, we still have plenty to come from Get a Job in Games Month, so head on over to the site and uh, click on the link in the nav bar at the top. As always, if you're looking for more news, insight, and analysis into the world behind video games, go to gamesindustry.biz. 